I'm Jim Hogan. I graduated from uh, 1979 from Grove City College. I was in Air Force ROTC because uh, so, I wanted to graduate, uh, be an officer, have a job. You know, in the late 70s, not too many people were getting a lot of jobs out of college. It was, it was a good way to get a job. That's not true. I really want to fly and be in the Air Force. Uh, we had a very large ROTC detachment, larger than some major universities in the country. Some of our graduates, uh, one of them, one of my classmates became a general officer, uh, uh, Rob Kane. Uh, and so we had a pretty good class and a lot of us went on to flight training in the pilot and navigator school. I went to navigator training at Mather Air Force Base in Sacramento, California in, in the late summer 1979. A great thing about going to flight school is you don't know what's going to happen to you. Where are you going to go after that? You know, what's your, what's your next assignment? What kind of plane are you going to fly? You know, the whole world's available to you. And I ended up, um, getting a KC-135, but a KC-135 is an aircraft that refuels other aircraft in flight. I was a navigator in that uh, after training in California at a couple of different bases. After about a year of training, I was stationed in Grissom, in Grissom Air Force Base in Indiana near Kokomo. Uh, cornfields, beanfields, you know, it's, it's Indiana. So was, we were there for five years. Um, got married to my wife, Sharon, who's cl uh, class of 81, and so she moved Indiana with me and and then we're there for a few years uh, moved to Castle Air Force Base in California where um, I was a flight instructor in KC-135 for new students coming out of flight training we do that um, also while I was in Indiana I flew some a little bit overseas some I was a month in uh, Panama doing special operations and just love Panama uh, a beautiful country um, in California for a couple of years a friend of mine talked to me and said, why don't you teach at the Air Force Academy? And I said, what can I teach? I'm, my undergraduate degree is in religion from Grove City. And he said, try philosophy. So I applied to the philosophy department. They accepted me. They sent me to Ohio State for a year. I uh, got my graduate degree there and taught the Air Force Academy from 88 to 92. Um, trying to remember a lot what some of my good professors did at Grove City, how they taught, uh, and uh, tried to tr think of them as examples. Uh, I think of... Uh, Dr. Trammell, who is a, I really enjoyed him philosophy classes, and Dr. Vanna Capelli, uh, who went down to uh, W&J after a few years at Grove City. Um, so I remembered some of those professors and some others and how they taught and uh, tried to exemplify them, but I enjoyed teaching. That was a lot of fun. And then after that, I was at uh, Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for several years. And then 1995, got sent to the Pentagon and um, to an office to deal with Freedom of Information Act. I never heard of the Freedom of Information Act. Uh, went there and basically it's a, um, it's, a, it's a law that where says people can request information from the government documents and we have to give it to them unless we have a legal reason not to. So I started working in that area and enjoyed it. Uh, as you being a historian and archivist understand, get to read old stuff and it's a lot of fun. And uh, so I, old stuff and new stuff, uh, a lot of it, you have to determine whether it's classified enough you know, work with other agencies, and uh, so I, I started working with with agencies such as uh, you know State Department, CIA, uh, Department of Justice, different parts of DoD, and in declassifying documents, see how everything's integrated. Had a lot of fun. Um, I worked on a lot of requests for um, a significant one. I remember was George Bush's guard records in, in uh, 2004. Um, I actually had his personnel file in my hand at one time. That was cool. That was cool. 
I read through that entirely. And there was some controversial thing, nothing in it, but there's controversy going on, but there was nothing controversial in the file at all. Uh, it, was, it was pretty, pretty standard. So I retired from the Air Force in 2000 and got hired back into the same office as a civilian uh, after working as a contractor for a few months, um, declassifying documents, reviewing them. I had, uh, I had, a, had a file, a box I reviewed that was, um, as a contractor, was Secretary McNamara. He was a defense secretary back for Kennedy. His records on, on the beginning of the Vietnam War, got to read some cool stuff there. And then got hired back at the government and continued to work in the Freedom of Information Office um, until two years ago, and I retired from that too. So I spent about 10 years in the Pentagon, and after that, our office moved to another building outside the Pentagon. A lot of my, I had to go to a lot of meetings in the Pentagon, so I knew the building really well. And uh, uh, it's the Department of Defense is just too big for the Pentagon, so we're not, we weren't all in there. Uh, so enjoyed that, and then uh, it leads up to and talking about 9/11. Uh, and uh, from what I remember, and uh, I, I'd never really written it down until a few weeks ago uh, when I got the email from Grove City saying, hey, what's your memory? So normally I carpooled to work. Uh, I had two to three neighbors and we went in and carpooling the Pentagon is really great because if you have a meeting running late, you can always use that excuse to get out of the meeting. Uh, my carpool was leaving and that, that was sort of an unwritten rule in the Pentagon. You don't keep someone from meeting the other car you know, for meeting their carpool requirements. So, hey, you gotta go, you gotta go. So carpooling is really good. So you drive once every third or fourth week. Um, the other way to get to work in the Pentagon called slugging, uh, unless you're taking mass transit. Slugging is, um, you have, especially from Northern Virginia, you have, uh, HOV lanes that require three people in a car. A lot of people wanna go to, North, to Arlington or Washington, DC. They wanna drive, but they're by themselves. So they go to a parking ride a lot of people are in line and you jump in the first car that's in line and uh, people you never you don't know you just take you take complete strangers to work you ride to work with strangers um so it was a lot of fun we, we did that if the carpool wasn't so that morning um i was i decided not to go with the carpool i drove to work because i had a i was coming back early in the afternoon to take my doctor or my daughter to a doctor's appointment and so Drove in, and I remember picked up two people. Uh, one was a Coast Guard officer. I remember that because I asked him about uh, if he knew um, a uh, high school classmate of mine who was in the Coast Guard station in the area. So we talked about that. So dropped him off Pentagon. And when you um, when you don't have a, since I wasn't carpooling, I could not. My carpool actually drove themselves, so they used a carpool pass, a parking pass. So I had to park in what's it's like a expansion lot. And this parking lot was not actually on the Pentagon grounds. It was next to the Pentagon City Mall, which is across Interstate 395. It's a small lot because Interstate 395 goes right by the Pentagon. So I parked in that parking lot next to the mall. And then you walk through a, a tunnel. It's about 200 feet long between from that parking lot to the Pentagon parking lot, then into the Pentagon. So I parked over there, um, went to work, and then you know, late in the morning. We didn't, at that time, we didn't have um, internet news and we didn't have a TV in the office, but we we had heard, I think on a radio that a plane had hit one of the, uh, the towers in uh, Washington DC, or excuse me, in New York City. So uh, we went to our director's office. He had a TV uh, and watched it for a while. And I remember thinking, um, uh, I remember reading about a, uh, a bomber, I think it was in 
1947 or so that crashed into the Empire State Building. And I think it was a B-24, but I'm not sure. And uh, I thought, well, maybe somebody just poor piloting. I don't know what it was. You know, you didn't think terrorist time until the second one hit. So things got, yeah, it's going to be a little bit, this, this, is, this is different. This is serious. I then remembered that my, um, I promised my daughter to buy her some pencil leads. This is strange. She need, you know, little leads for a mechanical pencil. So there's a CVS in the Pentagon. And, and actually there's a, um, a concourse where you have a CVS, you have a Dunkin' Donuts, you have some other gift shops and things. And it's a shopping area. So people don't have to go out of the Pentagon to go shopping right. during lunch or something. And there's some other places to eat. So um, I did something strange. I put on my jacket because normally when I went out around the Pentagon out of the office, didn't put on a jacket. For some reason, I put it on. I don't know why. So I walked down to the concourse and ran into my uh, one of my attorneys. Uh, in my job doing Freedom of Information Act, it's a law. So you got to work with attorneys, with a lot of attorneys, uh, which is good. I, I, I'm not an attorney. We used to joke around. We're not attorneys. We just play attorneys at work. I used to teach attorneys on the law. And uh, because I was when I when I retired two years ago, I, I was I was a person overseeing the entire Freedom of Information program for the Department of Defense. So I had to I had to know law pretty good. So uh, worked with attorneys. So anyways, I saw her and Jan, and we were just talking about amazingly why the Pentagon hadn't been hit yet. Are we going to be evacuated? So we're going to be sent home or something like that. Um, I don't remember ever saying goodbye to her. I have no memory of that at all. Next, mem next memory is hearing people yelling and screaming, get out of the building. Uh, the Pentagon police force were telling people to get out. I remember looking down, uh, there's a couple corridors that come into concourse. I remember seeing people rushing at me. Uh, they looked a little scared. So I thought, okay, there's something going on. They said a plane hit the Pentagon. I hadn't heard anything, hadn't felt anything, but it's a big building. Um, so interestingly enough, you know, it's sort of like your training kicks in and you think of what can I do? What's the safest thing to do? You know, from all my years of training in the Air Force, and you just you stop and think. There are two ways to get out of the Pentagon where I was. One was take the escalator down into the uh, metro station. And it goes right down to the metro station. Um, and the second way was go out a little side door. Not too many people use. You can commute in and out of this little side door. Just a small door. Uh, it's mostly an emergency exit, but they open it up in the morning and, and evening for people commuting just have another way getting out of the Pentagon. I thought to go down the escalator, but then I remembered uh, terrorists in Tokyo a few years prior had done a sarin attack uh, in the Tokyo subway. And I think that's not a place to go because terrorists could cause something to, fu to funnel people into a more dangerous place. Okay, cause one thing, go into a more dangerous place like the subway, metro. Didn't want to do that. So I went out the side door. I went out the side door. I looked up and I could see black, uh, thick black smoke coming from the other side of the building. I was on a, the south side of the building. So it was coming from the northwest side of the building. So I, and I smelled aviation fuel, so I knew for sure what it was then. It wasn't a missile attack or whatever the conspiracy theory is. It, it's aviation fuel, so it had to be an aircraft. Um, a lot of people coming out of the building at that time. I went out to the parking lot. It's the south parking lot. and went around it. You know, I can come around. I could see the side of the building. I could I could see the smoke. I could see the, plant, the building had been hit. Um, and that's when I realized, oh, I had my jacket on, and I had my keys in my pocket, car keys, and my 
cell phone, uh, which I usually, like I said, I, I usually never put that jacket on or take my keys with me or my cell phone and walk around the Pentagon. So I had it out there. I thought, well, might as well drive home. So I went to that tunnel I mentioned before it goes under, under Interstate 395. It was a, I want to say it was a beautiful day, bright blue sky, except for the black smoke at the time. But it was a, really a nice day. So I got to the tunnel. And um, again, I thought, don't want to be in an enclosed space. And I got the same thought as every other person did. We got to walk to the tunnel and ran through the tunnel. Did not want to be in a closed in space. Got in the tunnel, got on the other side. Um, this is back in the dark ages, and my cell phone did not have long distance. I, that happened at one time. So I couldn't call. I wanted to call my parents uh, in Florida or my in-laws in Pennsylvania. I couldn't do it. So I want to call my wife, who was taking our son to uh, another doctor's appointment, but couldn't get through because the cell phone towers were jammed up. So I got in my car, found the car, got in the car, saw my neighbor walking by, who usually I carpooled with, um, and gave her a ride home because she – you know, there's no way she can get in touch with all the other car people. Not everybody had cell phones. So I just gave her a ride home. Um, as we're leaving the Pentagon, we heard a loud bang, and that was the building collapsing. And if you look at pictures of the Pentagon, you'll see, like, like where, where, where it's been opened up, part of it standing and part of it collapsed. And uh, I think the part standing was the part that had been renovated. The Pentagon was in the early stages of, of renovation where they were taking a section of time, closing a section at a time, getting everybody out, putting them in other buildings, and renovating it completely. Because it was built in the 40s. It was, it was due for renovation. Um, the plane had actually hit on the edge of uh, where it had been renovated and it had been emptied. So it wasn't meant, weren't as many people working there as there could have been. So anyway, we heard it collapse. As soon as we got away from the Pentagon, I got cell phone coverage, called my wife um, and told her, asked her to call the school to let the other children, two kids know I'm okay, call our parents. And um, notice another thing, the highway in the way home, um, Interstate 395, which is very busy, even at, at that time, it was about, about 9.45 or so, it wasn't busy. I mean, there was nobody on the highway except I could see first responders coming past. Um, but that was, it was just empty. Uh, went home. Sent email, called my parents, called my in-laws, sent an email to all my friends, say, hey, I'm okay. Um, I knew my doc daughter's doctor's appointment was canceled because she was supposed to have it at Bethesda Medical Center. And, of course, all military installations were shut down. So, But I picked her up at, anyway at, uh, at school just so we could be together. And so I picked her up, took her home, and uh, waited for, for the other kids to come home. And, and uh, that evening, Secretary Rumsfeld said, hey, uh, Going back to work tomorrow. And that, that's fine. You know, Pentagon's still open. Got in and uh, the trouble was getting there. You know, we weren't going to be able to carpool because parking lot's closed. So the bus station was closed because the bus station is right there in the parking lot, pretty close to the building. Um, so you could, I think they bus to Crystal City or the Pentagon City, which is next door, and then bus walked over. I actually was able to take a metro. Um, took the metro in, uh, and they let people out to Pentagon as long as they had Pentagon pass. So we get into the underground station, Pentagon. As soon as they opened the door, we could just smell the fire. It was a campfire smell. We got into the building. The building is still burning. Um, the roof, the attic, 
uh, was still burning in parts of the building. And so we walk around, you know, see it building, and nobody's getting any work done. Of course, we're just talking about it. He kept getting rumors. There's, there's another plane coming in. And after about two hours, everybody said, this is, we're just going home. Yeah, that's enough of that. So um, that was it. We just decided to go home and, and uh, be with the family and come in the next day. So um, one thing I remember building, even after the fire's done, it just smelled bad, like a campfire for about a month. Um, the Pentagon had contracted with uh, professional cleaning companies to come in and clean the building. And uh, about 30 days after the attack, you know, beginning of um, October, we had a uh, crew come in in our office and they took all the vents out of, out of the uh, duct work and cleaned, cleaned the walls down and everything. Um, and the smell was gone. It was really nice. And, but it was interesting because they, they considered it a privilege to be doing it for us. And uh, we appreciate mm -hmm. that. Yeah, it was just an office, just us in an office uh, doing our job. But they came in, they came in from over the country. The uh, company brought them in as a nationwide company had brought them in so there's something about that building the pentagon it, it's and you call it the building you heard me say the building you just call it the building um it, that you just grow attached to at least i did it, it's there's museums throughout the building you know you walk around you'll see pictures of there's a corridor dedicated to pow's there's a corridor dedicated to australia new zealand uh our relationship with them there's a quarter dedicated to uh uh vietnam there's a walkway and you come in there's, instead of going up the stairs there's one ramp you can go up and there's paintings on the side of, from world war ii so wow. you're constantly reminded wow. of the history of the building and it takes on its own personality i mean it really does and so when you know you're building this hit i mean you it, it, it's it, you just have attachment to the building um uh, and that was another thing when the workers, they, hey, that thing was rebuilt in a year. That part was rebuilt in a year. Now, it only took 16 months, I think, to make the building to begin with back in the 40s. Uh, it was built very fast. But, you know, to do that one year, uh, to get it back and have a dedication ceremony a year later um, was, was something else. And uh, um, the building changed in that we were now either preparing or going to war um getting ready for that um even even i mean we had requesters in our in our in our business freedom information business we interact with the public a lot a lot of public doesn't trust the government it doesn't matter which spectrum in the spectrum political spectrum we're on you know there's distrust you know they don't get what they want we don't give them what they want so but i got a lot of calls from different requesters just see how we're doing and see if we're okay and they cared about us i had yeah. some requesters who who actually were taking things off of their websites because they said, hey, we just realized you gave this to us a few years ago, but it might not be the safest stuff. Uh, and I respected him for that. I remember talking to one guy. Um, he had requested like three or four years worth of kind of drug operation information. And this is before we digitized everything. So it was all on papers and it burned up on that day. So <laughs> I told the guy, I called him on the phone and said, you know, the office got hit, everybody survived, but your papers depend. So he never did get the information he wanted. I think we had to go oh, back. It was still at the archives, so we had to go back. It took years to, to redo it. So, um, and he, he was glad people people survived. But we um, that changed. And so the types of requests changed. Um, you know, and then as the war started, I mean, other things we had a. This is not unusual. We had a, we had a guy in our church 
who worked for in the CIA. He was in the CIA. Uh, in the middle of October, he 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 disappeared for about five six months. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, things like that. Okay, where's so Jesse? Oh, he's somewhere. <laughs> Uh, and, and, and so you, you, things like that happened in Washington, D.C. Uh, but the, uh, it was quiet. Uh, we didn't have, I don't know if you can hear, it's an aircraft going over right now. We didn't have that sound going on for a while. Um, we did have um, combat patrols, CAPS, Combat Air Patrol, uh, which, which would be a fighter flying overhead, usually National Guard fighters, just, you know, looking for anything else going on. And what struck me, and, you know, it didn't hit me till years later. Is that only happens when there's when you're at war? You know, you don't need that. So it was a reminder. You'd, you'd hear them in the middle of the night. You hear them all the time flying overhead. Um, it was interesting. I was at our our kids continued to they played soccer. Our two of our children at that time were playing soccer, and uh, we. Uh, Went to one soccer game that, that, that following weekend after 9 11 the soccer games are all camp nobody's doing anything weekend later our son was playing at a soccer game he was at that time he was 13 uh, in maryland and it was interesting because all the uh, boys got together two teams and they had a moment of silence you know holding hands together before the game and then during the game I remember looking up in the sky and uh seeing a uh a refueling similar to what I did, uh, but there's a different aircraft, KC-10, refueling the, the cap, the fighters overhead. I'd never seen a refueling from the ground. I've been involved in many of them in the air. I've never seen one from the ground. So that was interesting to see that because the fighters have to keep, you know, can be refueled to stay airborne. So uh, that was interesting. And then uh, my daughter had a soccer. And it was, this is something because you had to get back to normal life. It took a while, you know, get the soccer games going, things going on, school events. You want to get back to that as, as soon as possible. That's, that's part of the overcoming grieving process. It's part of just, just uh, in a way, show that you're not defeated. It's getting back to normal. So, you know, the kids' soccer games, that's big in Northern Virginia. So I remember going to a daughter's game. Uh, it's interesting because her coach had been in the World Trade Center, but not in the towers. There's other buildings at the World Trade Center, smaller buildings. He'd been there. So he was telling us all about how he, I don't know. He, I think I had to walk to New Jersey and run a, find a, run a car to get home. I can't remember exactly how it happened, but he finally got out of town and came back. So he coached the girls again. And uh, uh, I know I wrote this down to one the another father of one of the girls playing soccer was some guy named Paul McNulty. I don't know. He, but Paul's uh, daughter was on, 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 on our, my daughter's team, too. So we had a lot of good conversations that season because Paul had just been uh, appointed um, and confirmed as the uh, uh, assistant U.S. attorney for eastern district of eastern virginia which meant he was in charge of prosecuting terrorists because that's that is the court is always you know the uh, the court that uh, historically been prosecuted spies terrorists etc so we knew he was going to be involved in that i believe we had another soccer dad on the team who was president bush's physician military physician i think i'm not sure i can't remember for sure but i think of that so we always had good conversations going on and on the side what the girls were playing we watched the games once in a while too also, something I remembered, and I, I just written now remembered, um, a couple, it was, uh, I don't know, it was some weekend, a few weekends after 9-11, I decided to go to the Pentagon on a weekend and just see if I could volunteer help went out, because there was, there was, right at that time, there were uh, recovery efforts that were still, you know, going through the rubble and things like that, and I noticed out in the parking lot, there were some big tents set up, and there was a 
couple churches. I remember one church from North Carolina sent a lot of people from the church to the Pentagon, and they were there for several weeks. I'm going to say close to a month. Volunteers, just ministering to the people in recovery efforts, and they had they were giving them food, and they had a massage table set up or massage chairs, and you know, and helping them out, and and uh, it, it was just to see that to see the the good in people coming out and helping those who were helping out. That was uh, that was very impressive. That was, that was very uh, uh, had a big impact on my life seeing that time. But the important thing was getting back to normal. And another thing that um, I think it affected me was was prioritizing. Family had always been a priority, but it was uh, it took on a different meaning. Uh, I think it did for a lot of people is having the right priorities, families, relationships with others. Um, that was important to keep that going. And and that um, it was a, um, you know, you, you wish you don't have, for so many people, you don't, you don't have an event like that to uh, cause you to, to have the right priorities. I don't think, I think I had the right priorities, but it just, just gave a new meaning to it. it really did. I, I, th I think, um, did it influence us? Did it change us? Yes and no. There's so many factors that change a culture, a country, a people, so many things that go into it. Uh, we're reactionary uh, and we react to whatever it is. And, and patriotism, uh, animosity, all that stuff swings back and forth. It does. That's the way human nature is. It didn't change human nature. But to me, the important thing was, and I think I see this more and more, is, is, is forgiveness. Um, how, do, how do you forgive people who did what they did in 9 11? You know, how do you forgive your neighbor for? Sending her dog into your yard, you know, all those kinds of things. But yeah, it, it, forgiveness is, is such a, I think that's what I've learned a lot. Um, it, it's a commandment from Jesus to forgive. It wasn't like an option. It was a commandment. Um, and uh, so how does, uh, reflecting on how does forgiveness of, of people, of, of, of whatever, um, how how does that affect our lives? I think it's more important in, in reflecting on that and having relationships, having relationships with family, having relationships with with others. Uh, to me, is is very important in keeping that because that's um, that is uh, what gives uh, what what God gives us value relationships to add value to life. And a relationship with Him, of course, is the primary relationship. And of all other relationships are building that. And uh, if he's able to forgive us, we should be able, for pretty bad stuff, we should be able to forgive others for for the dogs or for, for terrorist attacks, whatever. It's not easy. It's not easy. So that's that's when I look back now. Um, country changes back and forth. It'll, cha it'll always be changing. Human nature stays the same. That's why it stays the same. But what I mean by stay the same is it's, it's wavering back and forth, you know. Um, so as things change, as you know, I, I don't react in a way, oh my goodness, this is going on in the country or this isn't going on. Um, Got to look at in a, in a, uh, a different perspective is this is the way human nature is and uh, what, can, what can I do? I can't do anything about what's going on in the world. I can do what's going on in my life, my family, my friends. That's what I got to focus on. That's where I'm called to, to make priorities.